Hi, this is Lainey Cameron, and you're listening to the Best of Women's Fiction podcast. I'm a marketing expert, a digital nomad, and the author of the 12-time award-winning novel, The Exit Strategy. If you haven't read it yet, I'd love to know what you think. I created this podcast to showcase authors and books I admire, and I'm thrilled that this season, Ashley Hasty, book blogger extraordinaire and creator of the Hasty Book List, is joining me as a co-host. We'll be alternating weeks. This episode is with award-winning author Lisa Barr, whose latest novel, Woman on Fire, released just this week. Full of intrigue, it's a crossover book, women's fiction and genre, but also a pulse-pounding thriller. And we talk about what that's like crossing genres, as well as Lisa's inspiration for the novel and great advice for writers. I adored this book, and I'm so excited to talk about it and talk about the difference between thriller and suspense and women's fiction. But also, I want to know how you write a page turner like this. First off, congratulations. It came out well, like just a few days ago. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I'm so happy to be here with you. So for those who haven't had a chance to read it yet, which is a lot of people because it just released, tell people more about Women on Fire. Okay, so Woman on Fire was a blast to write. I, I wrote it all during COVID, so I was working seven days a week, locked in my house, and obviously it was a dark period, you know, especially in the beginning for all of us. So it really was, you know, a great place for me to write this book. And the novel is about a young journalist who gets embroiled in a major dangerous international art scandal centered around a Nazi looted masterpiece. And for me, it had everything I love to write, you know, art, history, suspense, risky journalistic pursuits, and of course, strong, fiery women. So that was just a really, uh, you know, a great feeling to be able to put myself, dive into this book and write it. And I love that you always have these great strong woman characters and this journalist character is fabulous. Like she's not always like playing by the book or she, she sometimes kind of crosses the lines a little bit compared to what her boss wants, right? He wants her to really kind of stay under control and she's like, but I see an opportunity and I'm going to go for it. And it gets her in a little bit of trouble at some points in the book. How did you come up with her character? Like, like, does she just come to you fully formed? Do you say, how do you find a character like that? Okay, well, you know, Jules Roth is the main character and she's 24 years old. And so I don't know if you know this, but my background was 25 years as a journalist. So I was a reporter in the Middle East uh, for seven years, covering everything from, you know, celebrities to terrorism. So when I was there, I was sort of a young, idealistic journalist and I was fearless. It was before I had my kids and, you know, any story, you know, the more dangerous, the more exciting I was in. Obviously now I'm jaded and old and crusty and seasoned, but back then I was so idealistic and, you know, I'm going after the truth no matter what. So it was so great to be able to go back there to tap into that younger version of myself. So a lot of jewels is a lot of me. And even there's a backstory, which, you know, I, we could talk about a little bit later, but just to throw it in there, when I was in high school, I was used as bait to break a sex trafficking ring, which we did. And so I use that as Jules's backstory as well. So I, I was able to really 
put me into Jules. And I think that's how she came about. I would never have guessed that that part of her backstory was real. Yeah, like to me, that real. seemed so incredible. Yeah, no, real, 100%. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Talk to me about the rest of the inspiration for the novel. I, I love that you do write yeah. about the art world. And I, I put in my own review that I felt like I got to like get an inside sneak peek of a world that I would never normally get to see and visit this high art, expensive art theft, going back to World War II yeah. and, the, and yes. Germany. Like, how did all of that come together in your head? Well, first, thank you so much for that. Um, so, my first novel, my debut novel was called Fugitive Colors, is called Fugitive Colors, and it was about stolen art, but from the artist's perspective. So before I even started that book, I did four years of intensive research. I mean, I traveled, I was in Paris, you know, all over. And so I had that background. And as a journalist, using wearing my journalist hat, you sometimes become an expert you know, quasi expert in a field. So I left no stone unturned in the stolen art arena in World War II. So, and you know, my middle book, which we can talk about was very different, but this book, I decided to go back to my roots and really explore it from a painting's perspective. There's so much on stolen art and about so many families, you know, the legacy of Holocaust survivors in particular, who are trying to get their stolen or lost or confiscated artwork back after 75 years. And many, many people are still locked in years long lawsuits trying to get their paintings back. So I tapped into that. And I also tapped into, in 2012, there was in Germany, in Munich, the discovery of uh, 1,500 major artworks in this rundown apartment in Munich. And it turns out that these artworks belong to the son of Hitler's art thief. And his name was Cornelius Gerlitt, the son. And we're talking the likes of Picasso and Matisse, you know, found inside the stove in the food cabinets. I mean, totally crazy. And what happens to me when I know I find my story, I literally have this visceral reaction. I could feel my blood moving through me and I'm like panting, knowing this is my story. And so I use this as the nugget, which it begins the book. And you have my um, sort of um, uh, ruthless, crooked art dealer basically stealing this treasure trove. But is it a theft when you steal from the robber? You know, I don't know. Right. You know that, that's how she justified it. But this was the beginning of the book and kind of the news nugget, which is very important to me. I love news nuggets in my, uh, you know, in whatever I write. And I love how you set up these two female protagonists against yeah. each other. Like you say, the art dealer who has questionable morals, but justified in her mind yes. what she's doing, who's the, the person who's able to steal this work. But then you've also got the journalist who's kind of coming at it from a sense of righteousness, right? Of I'm going to do the right thing by everybody. And I loved that you kind of explored some of those themes around how it's never quite as clear cut as that. It's never yeah, quite as simple never. as, you know, gray, black, white. It's never quite that simple in the real life, right? And so I loved how you did that. And Jules has a growth curve, she a growth arc she's going to go on. She's yes. really putting herself at risk at the beginning of the book and doesn't really care what anybody else thinks about what she's doing. You know, you, you hit it on the nose. Jules has a growth curve and really so does Margot de Laurent. In, in its own way, without giving away any spoilers, but 
Truthfully, I loved writing Margot. I mean, Margot was bad and evil and sexy and, and ruthless. And, you know, you know, ask any author. The, the evil characters are way more fun to write. And so, yeah, you know, but at the same time, she had a lot of damage and she had a lot of childhood trauma. No bad character is written well unless there are parts of them that the reader can, you know, connect to or find authentic or, you know, feel a little bit compassion for, for her. So um, it was very fun to set up this woman versus woman showdown. This might be a fun time to ask you about genre because I love that to me, you've crossed genre, genre boundaries back and forth. And I think your, your different books are different here. I would not argue if someone wanted to say, Lainey, why are you putting a thriller book on the best of women's fiction here? And I'd say, because I think it's both. I think this book is both women's fiction, but yeah, it's a thriller. It's a page turner as well. But how do you think about it? You're the expert in this. How do you define genre? And do you even care? Like, how do you think about what genre your books are? You know, I, I do care, but I've always been sort of this person, like, I don't like being pigeonholed. From the beginning, I knew I wasn't just going to be able to write historical fiction. My first one's historical fiction. The Unbreakables is very sexy women's fiction. And Woman on Fire, it, it does fit into your category because there is a sense of women's fiction and they call it almost a cross-genre book. So you have definite history, you have art, you have suspense, but also very uh, deep women, you know, uh, characters that I really had to develop. So it isn't just, it's moving, it's moving. There's a pause there. There's a look into the psyches of each of these women characters and some very strong male characters as well. Right. You know, I'd like to add for me in, in the industry, I guess I'm known as a genre jumper and uh, that's okay. I'm good with that. And so I do need to sometimes warn my readers, like, you know, a lot of the readers who love The Unbreakables, which was very sexy. There are some good sex scenes in this one. Not quite The Unbreakables level, but um, definitely there are some in Woman on Fire. You know, I think as a writer, it's very important to be able to write what drives you, write what stimulates you. And if you do have a moment that you want to veer off track, I say, go for it. No, I love that. And I, I love that you are very successful with what you've done. I think, okay. especially for early writers, and we have a lot of early writers who who are kind of debuting or not yet debuting who listen to this podcast. I know because some of them write to me and ask me questions. Yeah. And, you know, we like to put people in boxes, right? Especially before their first work comes out. A lot of agents will advise you, you know, you really got to define your box and stay within your box. And so I love having someone on who has very successfully crossed genres back and forth. So, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a hybrid. I, I outline it. I know where I want to go. But once I jump in, the characters take me various places. I knew I needed to get certain news aspects, the newsy angles that that had to be on point, everything factually correct. Interestingly, I had another backstory at the beginning and my editor said, you know what, I know this is going to be hard for you to let this go, but I, I, I think we need to let this go because, you know, there was a point in this book with Jules that there was sort of a me too type of backstory. And so she felt, well, while that was important, it shifted the emphasis of the book. But so it was very hard for me to let that go. I mean, I tossed and I turned, but at the end of the day, she was right. So that was a big edit for me to take out that because, you know, once one part of the thread is taken out, 
you know, it becomes like a uh, domino reaction. So, you know, sometimes as a writer, you have to leave it to the pros who know and who could, you know, you're so attached to it. You love these characters. You bleed these characters. You dream these characters and, you know, how you let go an important part of their background is hard. But I've been around the block enough times to know, and I've worked as an editor myself, that I know uh, that that needed to be done. So that's a great bridge into one of the questions I love to ask, which is writing advice. And you have been so successful with your books. They're fabulous. They're amazing. If anyone hasn't read Lisa's books, go read this one or any of the previous ones. Thank you. Um, and I've been wanting to have Lisa on for a while. You guys don't know that, like I was just telling her before we started. Um, so writing advice. I, I think obviously we all have our different experiences, but rejection you know, and especially for writers, we've got to be the most sensitive people around. So it's a tough business for sensitive people. And you just have to remember one, it's it's all to make the book better, you know, and if you're rejected, do not take no for an answer. Sometimes there's so many doors that get closed and slammed and it hurts. And you just have to remember, you have to believe in yourself and believe in your work and know that there is going to be an open window. It will happen if you love it, if you're following your passion, if this is what you have to do because it's breathing for you, you need to just go for it. And I also say, start to get a writing community. Build, you know, like with what you're doing, become part of a writing community, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram, you know, follow the authors you love. I think a big mistake, say writers who are trying, new writers who are trying to get their book out in the world, they might pitch, you know, the agents they think that they, they, they hear about, but it's very important to find out which agents like your your genre, which agents are looking. And so say, for example, I there's a historical fiction writer that I love. I will look at the back of the book and see who she's thanking. And I'll see who her agent is. And then I work from there. Don't go out blind without doing your research. To be a successful author, you've got to do your research and you've got to make sure you're pitching to the right people who are going to want to read your book. So that's one thing. Build your community. And that doesn't, you're not going to have your community, you know, it's a Monday and by Friday you have your community. It doesn't work like that, Horton, is writing can be lonely. Okay, super lonely. I write, you know, I know COVID put a kibosh on it, but now I'm sort of back in again. I write in a cafe. I need airborne conversation around me. So I'm not stuck in my house in the corner. You know, the dog's looking at me, the laundry's looking at me, the empty refrigerator, my kids calling me night and day. I, it's just, you know, I will get nothing done. So get out of your house if you can, because there's so many things that are demand, being, you know, demanded of you in your house. And so I go in a cafe. I also work with another author. She does her thing. I do mine. We have 10 minutes where like, we go back and forth and we connect and we talk about our kids and we talk about things, drink our coffee, and then we're on. But it's just like having that person looking over my top of my laptop and she's there and she's on her phone. She's doing her research. It really makes it that much better. So try to get rid of the lonely factor by finding someone, anyone who could, you know, go along the journey with you. 
and, and who's live because, you know, you can meet so many people, you know, on social media and in this sort of uh, social media world, but you need a live person that you could actually touch their arm or touch, you know, fist bump with them or whatever you need to do. I, I agree. And and I have never talked about this on the podcast, but if anyone's not familiar, it's not quite live as in fist bump, which I agree. I, I love meeting people in person. We do it in San Miguel here. But um, Women's Fiction Writers Association actually has Zoom write-ins almost every day of the week where yeah. groups of writers get together. And they, exactly what you said, they start by saying, hi, how's everybody doing? What's everybody going to work on? And right. then they work independently, but they're there on the Zooms. One last thing that I do, and, and I think it's great for writers if they have kids, especially, it's very hard to find stolen time. If you can get up an hour earlier before your crew gets up, it's like the golden hour. Okay. I mean, I, I appreciate that so much. That time before my whole crew is up and everybody needs something. So if you can find that stolen hour, that's very key. And, and it's something you can depend on and look forward to. So I recommend that as well. Everybody's going to find that so helpful. <laughs> is there anything I haven't asked you about relative to this book that you like to talk about? You know, just how important it is to get your characters, how they can connect with each other. For me, I, you know, before I write, I kind of make a list, like who does my, who is my character? What does she like to eat? How does she smell? Her scent, I should say, yeah, you know, yeah. or his scent. You know, I think it's so important to write a composite for each of your characters. And also, do you remember as kids, you had those, those worksheets where you drew lines, like how things connected to each other. I also do that for what, what things do my characters have in common? Like what will they connect on as the book goes forward? So I think that that might be a really helpful thing to do. Um, one thing that I want to mention, you know, uh, writing a sex scene. I like to talk about that. <laughs> And, and a lot of authors shy away from it, and I gravitate toward it. Because writing a sex scene, it's not about what's going on or the, like the physical intimacies. It's what's going on around it. How does it move your character forward? How does it, what are the thoughts that are going on in their head that actually move the story? So a lot of people I know are, they kind of really shy away from writing a very strong, good sex scene. But the best sex scenes are the ones where it is actually propelling the story further. And you get to really know um, not just, you know, what your character enjoys, but what your character thinks about and their most deepest thoughts in the most intimate moments. So I think that that's really I'm sure anyone who's a writer who's listening, and also I know that readers who are listening are like, I need to go read The Unbreakables and yeah. miss that one, because that's the one with the hot and steamy sex in it. But I would say read both. Read that and read Women yes. on Fire. It's fabulous. It's a page turner. I felt like I was inside the world of art. And there were a lot of things I didn't know. The whole idea of like forced sales. I was yes. really unfamiliar with that. The idea that you had these Jewish families who kind of were forced to do the paperwork to sell their art, but it was never something they wanted to do. And so you educated me. I also felt like I learned a lot from this book. That's music to my ears, especially with historical fiction or history. The key is you want people to have a takeaway and learn something. So if I gave you that, 
You just made my day. Now everybody else can read this book. And if you want to find my my review, it's up on BookBub and Goodreads and everywhere we put reviews. So you're the best. Thank you. So thank you so much for joining me, Lisa. This has been a blast. And I'm so glad I finally got to have you on. Yes, me too. Thank you for inviting me. And thanks for all you do for authors. It means so much to me. And I know to everyone I know who's been on your show, it really oh. means a lot. So For links to the books mentioned in today's episode, the author's social media, and the video version, please visit www.bestofwomensfiction.com. I'd love if you subscribed to the podcast, and giving it a quick review or some stars really helps. Also, if you enjoy it, please share it with friends.